0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. As the Truman dude hello. would say, yes, hello, everybody. No matter <laughs> what time of day it is, wherever you're listening in the world, we are on a Wednesday and we are between two Sundays. And so good to be back. We are Marks. Um, we have a surname initial that ends with e, but one starts yes. with b, and one starts with yes. B uh there's so yep. much we are but you can you're welcome with us hello mark how are you stop me quick um,
1: <laughs> i am very well i'm very well and um really really pleased to be back to talk again
0: yeah man that was, that was another good conversation last week i must say yeah it wasn't, um, that fun? wasn't there that was fun? a lot of good stuff in it and look these the podcasts stay up we're not removing them from uh the thread they're going to be there as a library yep. um so even if you are um looking for uh stuff that's something else you're doing and that passage happens to be there um dig in and have a listen um because because they'll remain there and i I think you know and we said this last week too you know the conversations that we have aren't unique in the sense that only we who are you know pastors or bible scholars or whatever you want to say these 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 conversations can happen with anybody for anybody just as yeah. have some people you trust there be willing to throw out some crazy ideas and um, see yeah. where they go and um yeah. have a bible on one hand and have biblehub.com on your screen and another and dig yeah. into the greek and look at the commentaries and yeah. discuss your thoughts and you, it, this is what scripture's for i think there was a tradition where we saw the uh, hebrew scriptures being reimagined even through the whole of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, hmm. And then it continued the tradition of doing that. Uh, it continues within Judaism uh, through rabbis uh, creating midrash. They're continually, continually reimagining what the scriptures are. <laughs> and I love what uh, Dr. Peter N says that we do the text a disservice when we refuse to do that. When we treat it yes. like it's static and everything's been said and done, we are not yep. treating the text with the, re- for the, with the way that's meant to be, You know, treated the way that it was written to be treated. Um, Yeah. uh, I think that's very powerful. You know, Mark,
1: there's a very, there's a very old hymn, um, a very, very old hymn. Um, And the first line of it is um, God has yet more life, light, and truth to break forth from God's word. Yeah. True. Um, And I reckon, I reckon the hymn writer is onto something there. Um, so often we get caught in the idea that there's a right answer or a right interpretation. And, and, yes, I think there are interpretations that are more faithful than others. So I'm not saying there's no, you know, that the text is not there and not doing anything. But um, and I know this, I know some might not understand this, but I find myself loving playing with the text imagining in the text um, with, with the text alongside me sort of in that, um, in that playful, joyful space rather than that space of I've got to get it right and I've, I can't be wrong and people are going to criticise me, but actually in that space of imagination and art and bringing myself um, to the text, which I think we that is the only possibility. We can't read the text without bringing ourselves. So when I was at Bible college, you know, we kind of spoke very idealistically about um, one who exegetes or, or um, you know, reads the text for what it is and one who eisegetes, and that is brings themselves to the text and sees themselves in it. And exegesis was good and eisegesis was bad. Um, I don't think it's possible to do either in a pure form anymore. <clears throat> I think we're always <clears throat> we're always bringing ourselves, yeah. um, and we're always um, reading the text and allowing it to speak as well. So the, the text does speak. Um, I, I did want to step back to um, what you were saying before, encouraging people to read in community, um, like we're doing um, here. Um, you know, for me, that is the most faithful way of reading the text. Yeah. Um, if we if we are really always and all bringing ourselves to the text, then we desperately need to listen to one another if we're to understand the text. And I find um, I, I find some of the most fruitful times um, of of reading scripture are when there's someone who's a lot younger than me. Maybe there's someone who's um, who's female um, and brings a completely different perspective to the text. Maybe there's someone from a completely different culture who reads this text in just from a, another angle, and and it cracks open possibilities for me as I listen to them. Um, so I, I'm, you know, we've got a number of. Um, Uh, congregations from around the world that use the property that that my congregation um, owns and uh, not always but occasionally I love to step in and listen to the Tongan community and listen to um, some of the other perspectives and I go along and you know they're speaking a different language and I don't understand it um, we've got a, a community from Kenya, and we've got another one from India at the moment as well. Um, potentially, another one from Samoa. Um, and, and you know, they are completely different to me. <laughs> they they really do approach the text very very differently. But in doing so, they they ask me to re- revisit the assumptions I pro- approach the text with, and they. They reveal the culture that I approach the text with. They they kind of show it up um, for what it is and make me conscious of the assumptions that I bring to the text as a middle-class white male um, from the Western world. Um, These things are not obvious to us until they're seen in contrast with something different. And and this is where I think exegeting in community is the most faithful way for us to read the text. If if we believe that these are texts written to all the nations, um, we we really should be willing to listen to these texts with the voices of all the nations um, echoing in the background.
0: Don't get me started on community hermeneutic man.
1: Oh, mate. It's it's my deal. It's my it's deal.
0: Wonderful. We we It's so we good. It's so not healthy built for to us. to do life and faith alone. For goodness sake, yes. this whole yeah. my personal reading of the Bible thing. No. Nah.
1: Yeah. Nah. No.
0: Have a have a personal yeah. opinion, then go yeah. and test it in community and share it in community and learn from community. Um, <laughs> and read it through the eyes of community and have yeah. I have 47 different ways of understanding the text out of that. Yes. Go, yes. go for it. That's not being, yep. you know, the text doesn't have to have one meaning. Um, yeah. Yeah. Community harmony. That's one of my thing, you know, you know, one of my big things is community and community, you know, learning together. This is why the, the one preacher part, you know, preaching on a Sunday morning doesn't yeah. cut well. This is why, when you have a look at uh, what we see happening in early Judaism, particularly, and it still happens today in Judaism, That the text Mm. is read in community and discussed in community. This is why the rabbis, when they learn, they learn in community. They don't sit there and study at home on their own. They sit there with other rabbis and they pull the thing apart and get into fights and arguments and discussion and depth. And um, there's so much in that. You know, I don't think I keep telling Mm. my students we've lost the ability to argue well in the West. Yeah. We could learn to argue better, and then when we can argue better, we'll actually learn more um, from each other as we read that stuff. So
1: often, our arguments are defending ground, Um, and that is, you know, that is a really shallow way of arguing. Um, Really, you know, it's not, um, you know, as as one who's who worships at a Baptist church, um, it's not only the Jews who hold that value. Um, The great Baptist traditions are. Um, we hold, uh, you know, a few statements that hold us together, but everything is debatable from there. And, and we, we've, we're actually a tradition that's refused to go creedal um, and, and be united by central statements. We're actually united by the ongoing debate, yeah. um, the ongoing exploration of scripture is what holds us together. And when we're tempted to make absolute statements, we've, we've said, actually, we won't. We will continue the discussion. Because one of the temptations or one of the problems with making these absolute cradle statements that is that they stop conversation. They're actually ways of saying we won't be discussing these things anymore because we've arrived there. And I, I think that's a disaster for the next generation coming through.
0: Well, why do you think they did it in the you know, 325? That's exactly why they did it.
1: Yeah. That's exactly yeah, how they that's did it. right.
0: The Empire said, yeah. no more discussion. This is what we're going to believe.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and if you don't, and I think that's, that way for we me, make that's sure a we know sad, who's
0: out, make sure we know who's in. Yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah. that's a sad moment for me. Is. It's a sad, history. sad moment. Because yeah. suddenly
0: they had a way to make people out.
1: Yes, yes. We, we built walls. Yep. Um, and we've spent thousands of years since trying to work out how to pull them down Um, or, or worse, (laughs) how to build them up. Yes. yes. That's right.
0: right. Anyway, last week. Yeah. What's stuck with you out of last week?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, I found my Julian of Norwich quote. Yes. Which, um, which I thought I better do the responsible thing and bring the. Please do because I'm going to
0: steal it for Monk and Docs, but keep going.
1: Yeah. Um, so, Lady Julian of Norwich. First, yeah. there is the fall. Then we recover from the fall. Both are the mercy of God. Right. Um, and we linked that last week with this idea of God um, scattering and gathering. Mm. Um, and and we linked it also with law and grace. Um, so yeah. So first, first there's the law, and and you know Paul is willing to say the law helps us realize that we can't live up to it. Um, but then there was, of course, an approach to the law that said, you know, that kind of allowed it to puff us up. Um, Paul, Paul thinks the law should actually um, cause us to fall on the grace of God. Um, and I love, his, I love his approach to the law. So, so the law at that point can begin to fade into the background as grace comes to the, to the fore. So i've been I've been sitting with that stuff um, a little bit w- wondering um, you know h- how that how that would allow me if this is true that God is in the fall and in the recovery, that God is working in both of those spaces. you know how does that how gracious does that allow me to be my to be to my mm-hmm. towards myself when I don't get it right. Um, and and if that's the case, um, how does that how does that instruct inform the way I would relate to people in my congrega- congregation who find themselves doing the wrong thing? I I, I love the language of um, you know, what do we get out of the various experiences of life or even the failings of life as, you know, we we get learnings out of them, that language that's... I, I think it's quite prominent now, a lot of people talking about learnings. Um, what, what can we learn out of this situation? And I think one of the things we should be able to learn when we get it wrong is not only not to do it again and that that doesn't build up my humanity... Um, but wh- one of the things we should learn out of these experiences is that God is gracious. Oh. Um, and that should maybe continually always surprise us. But the God is working in that, um, I think, is wonderful. It's a great characteristic of King David, I think, um, who didn't get it right all the time, got it wrong often. But badly. kept coming back. Yeah, and really badly, exactly, exactly, disastrously. Um, but his, his habit was to come back. Um, his habit was to deal with his failings by coming back to God. Um, mm. it, it, didn't, it didn't pull him away from God. It actually pulled him towards God. So he writes some of those magnificent prayers in, in the Psalms. Um, you know, as as re- fallen recovery songs or fallen recovery prayers,
0: yeah,
1: which I is why they probably
0: resonated with people for
1: eons. Of course, of course, that's what they are. Yeah, yeah. So I've been I, I've been sort of sitting with that a little bit, um, looking around for opportunities to um, to be the gracious voice. Where people fall, rather than the condemning voice. Mm. Um, and I, I, if there's, if you know, if, if I'm not going to get it perfectly right all the time, I've decided I'm pretty happy to err on the side of grace. Um, if I've got to err one way, I'll go that way. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. How did you play with it? I got stuck on
0: the gathering thing. Um,
1: yeah, and, and what was yeah. really
0: cool about that was uh, the more I thought about it and all those words I tossed out last week, gathering, reconciling, redeeming. Yeah, um,
1: beautiful.
0: And I was reminded that, you know, Paul says, we have the ministry of reconciliation. That's that's what it's mm. all about. And mm. um, I yeah. suddenly realized that this is the central at Adam of everything that I'm meant to be about is reconciliation. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, my
0: reconciliation with God, um, my reconciliation with the world, my reconciliation with others. That's what everything's about. It's about reconciliation mm. and to understand the Christmas story through that lens. Um, yeah. Remembering, of course, that, uh, you know, we had um, John chapter one, um as, as the reading, mm. um, not, not yes. the nativities that we had through the Christ, through the Advent season and up to Christmas Day. Mm. So, um, you know, that was interesting too, that we've got this, we've had this story of, you know, the wise men and the shepherds and all that stuff. Um, but then right. it's sort of coming out of that now, we go, now let's understand this story at a whole new level. Mm. Um, and that the essence of that story which really came through those other readings from Ephesians and from uh, Jeremiah was that, that essence of, of reconciliation and gathering and redeeming and that the, the Christmas message is God wants to gather um, mm. and pull us yeah. together. Not again, going back to those walls and stuff that we've been so good at building over the centuries. Um, the ministry would say, you've got to pull it apart. It's reconciling, not mm-hmm. um, yeah. separating. So that's that's yeah. where I, I um, have been playing around with that, and it's it, again. I mean, it's it becomes a lens through which you see your neighbourhood. Um, and as I get around my neighbourhood here, um, still being school holidays and stuff for me, mm-hmm. um, and getting around mm-hmm. down here at Burley, walking around and interacting with people, um, mm-hmm. that sense of my role here in this community is to be a presence of reconciliation. When I go back to school, my role as the chaplain in the senior school is to reconcile. And I'm already thinking about how can I intentionally be about the work of gathering both here at Burley and at school. And I'm pretty excited about Mm -hmm. what prospects might come up that.
1: So, um, Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, that um, I'm just trying to think of the almost, um, almost the tools Jesus gives us together. Um, you know, this is the Jesus who calls us to repent when we hurt others and do the wrong thing. The Jesus who gives us the tools of forgiveness. Mm. The, the tools of seeking to love our enemies. All this is gathering language, I think. Um, And and very practical gathering language. Um, It's not pie in the sky kind of stuff. It's actually, you know, Jesus really inviting us to be gatherers and reconcilers, which I suspect goes way beyond people, that there's actually a call to the church to be um, gathering the universe together again that has been split and divided and broken by selfishness or sin. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. For sure. So you know it's there's a there's a really big big perspective on this as well. <clears throat> Absolutely. Mm.
0: I like well, that. Well well we are now well and truly into the year and uh, yeah. so Um, During the week this week, we had Epiphany. And so this Sunday uh, that's coming up is the baptism of the Lord. And our readings come from Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 7. Psalm 29, Acts 8, verses 14 to 17. And then Luke 3, verses uh, 15 to 17. And then 21 to 22.
1: Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you know, I Mark. I wonder if the first thing to 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 do here is so these are the Sundays after Epiphany, but in very in uh, in uh, the way I think of them, and maybe this is not orthodox, is that they're all revealings of Jesus. So mm. th- that that Epiphany celebration during the week. Um, the, the reading is is the Magi coming, uh, um, you know, the the astronomers coming from the from other nations and ar- arriving here and um, uh, arriving here and r- revealing to people and being revealed to themselves who this child is. So it's a first moment of the Gentiles interacting with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it seems to me that a, lot, a number of these Sundays after Epiphany are, are all building on other revelations of who this Jesus is. So the picture of, um, the, the picture of Jesus is being built up. So we get, you know, the, the, the signs in the Gospel of John um, are often read around this period of time. And, and today we're coming to the baptism of Jesus as another revealing of who this one is. Yeah. Um, and it would seem to me that if, you know, if there's anything that so clearly holds all these passages together, um, it is the spirit of God um, uh, amongst us revealed um, in Jesus Um Uh, Being with us in this Jeremiah passage, um, clearly working through the psalm, the voice of the Lord, um, repeated over and over again. Um, This is all language of the the spirit of God amongst us. Yes. And, And it's this same spirit that is at work in the world, at work in the universe, at work among our communities, that descends upon Christ and is the, um, the the thing John the Baptist was looking for was the one on whom the Spirit would descend. Um, so I think there's some you know, some wonderful uh, it's some wonderful pointings to how the Spirit of God reveals Jesus to us, reveals the gospel to us uncovers um, what um, was previously hidden.
0: Mm. And it's interesting Mm. then too that if you take that into consideration um, that this is a God's uh, revealing and uncovering, that it was after Jesus was lifted out of the waters of baptism that that happened. Because I was almost literally like, cover him up, now uncover him and then the The spirit descends. Yeah, then, what an interesting way to
1: think of baptism. Yeah, there's,
0: it's yeah. almost literally baptisms are revealing. Um, yes, you come, you come yes. out of the water and suddenly you're there. Mm. Um, and of course, it's it's understanding that you know that word baptizo uh, to be immersed. You know, when we talk about baptism in the Spirit, or you know, baptism into God, baptism into the Christ, we're talking about a full immersion. Into it, um, so it's it's not just about being dunked in some water, um, uh, yeah. and I know Paul goes on about you know the water being symbolic of washing, uh, harking back to the Jewish uh, act during the um, uh, the conversion process or the becoming Jewish process where you go through that is it um, mit, a mitzvah? Uh, mit, mitzvah? I can't remember the name of it, um, but there, there's this Jewish bath. Um, that people go through as part of their um, conversion um, hmm. thing. And um, so a mikvah, sorry, apologies to our Jewish mikvah. friends, I was just looking that up, the mikvah. Um, so, and the purpose of that is uh, it's used for ritual immersion uh, to achieve ritual purity, which is what Paul was saying. He, he was saying, well, this is what we had, um, you know, Jewish. Now we have baptism, which is what we're going to do now. He was sort of making that transition for the way he thought that you know this new sect of Judaism was going to go, which Christianity was. It was one sect of many uh, within Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about the um, uh, the immersion is that we um, we we are baptized with water. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Um, mm-hmm. But we're baptized into God, into the Spirit, in Christ. And so our immersion isn't so much in liquid, it's in God. Mm. Uh, and when we start to understand that it was at that immersion moment that you have um, this revelation, and the revelation came from naming. Um, and this this the, the whole thing of voice, came up too, but I realized that it was connected to the naming. So even in the Isaiah passage, yes. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Yes. Um, and the, the uh, in, voice, in sorry, Psalm 29, um, the voice of the Lord is here. The voice of the Lord is there. The voice of the Lord bakes cedars. The voice of the Lord flashes flame. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. There's power in the voice of the Lord. Mm. Um, and may the Lord give strength to God's people and may the Lord bless god's people with peace um the voice brings peace um it's got this amazing power but the voice brings peace and if you think right back to the creation story um god speaks creation into being god says that to be like so there's a word at work in the creation of the universe hello john one last week but there's a word at work in the creation of the universe and so Jesus gets immersed into this water as part of, I would say the Jewish cleansing ritual. There was no Christianity mm-hmm. even, you
1: yeah. know, for yeah. many
0: years after Jesus' death. So part of that Jewish uh, Jewish ritual, um, you know, circumcised at birth as he's uh, And then um, that voice speaks out and um, says, you are my child, you are my son. And so Um, There is something incredibly powerful about a voice that speaks your name, a voice that calls Mm. you out, a voice that uh, and it's soothing. Uh, Imagine, you know, you're a kid and it's dark and you're lost and you can't see where you're going just to know, you know, a parent or an adult or even a friend calls out, hey, Mark, I'm here. Uh, That has the power to just bring you so much relief in that moment. Um, that voice that calls your name. And so we have this immersion into God and this voice that calls your name. And when something calls your name or speaks out to you, or, you know, Hey, I'm here. You, you are this to me. um, It shows that you are known. So even though at the baptism, God doesn't say you are Jesus. Um, He says, this is my son or you are my son. Um, And in doing so, Jesus hears this voice that says, I know you. Hmm. So there's this immersion into God and then a voice that calls out and says, I know you. And then in the Acts passage, this is where we have that immersion in the spirit happening for those early disciples. And so it continues there. There's This immersion into God. And out of that comes these people who now have a name. They are now known. They are now recognized. And it's not that they weren't before. It's that it's sealed for them. Mm. Um, and there's something incredibly powerful about these passages, You know, talking about epiphany, the revelation of who God is, uh, as we move over the next couple of weeks, over the seven weeks of epiphany, um, to know that here is a God who has revealed God's self in a voice that mentions a name and makes you known. Um, to know that deep in our hearts and to experience that somehow, um, how incredibly powerful to recognize that we are known by God and we are immersed in God and we cannot escape God. If I go down over the road here to Burley beach and jump in the water and submerse myself in the ocean, um, I can't escape it. There's nowhere I can go. That um, you know, and I think it was um, was it Rabindranath Tagore, I think, might have said, or maybe it was Kabir, the um, yeah. Islamic mystic, who said, uh, "It's not that you are the drop in the ocean; it's you are the o- the ocean. It's not that the drop is in the ocean; it's that the ocean is in the drop." Um, yes, yes. Uh, it's it's both, and but the, yeah. the, basically yeah. saying we can't escape the presence of the divine. Yes. um because it just is and so in this case in Acts 8 it's not that they hadn't didn't have access to the spirit of god the spirit of god was there within the whole time mm. but through that mm. sacrament um i've been thinking about this a lot of late too which is kind of interesting mm. it's just popped in my head these thoughts i've been having about we are talking about, about flesh i think it was last week
1: yeah, we were talking yeah about yeah.
0: how um you know we often think flesh is dirty and yucky and you know often in christian circles we talk about the flesh as, as being that it's interesting then that when we engage in sacrament you know these physical tangible signs of what's happening inside that they always happen to the flesh yes uh we yes. baptize the flesh we consume yeah bread and wine at the Eucharist in, yeah. you know, that goes into our very flesh. It's a human experience to get wet. Yeah. It's a human experience to eat and drink. And yet these are the things that God chose yeah. to make God self known to us. And so, yeah. uh, you know, again, it's not as if we've been, we haven't had the divine available to us. It's that you have this experience where suddenly now, you know, that you know, that you're known. Mm. Um and I see that happening in this, in all these passages here, um, yeah. you know, there's a reassurance to, to Israel and Isaiah that I'm with you. You don't have to fear. Don't be afraid. Uh, yeah. In the Psalm, it's okay because the voice is calling out to you. Yes. It's a powerful voice that, you know, breaks cedar trees in half, but it's the voice that's going to give you strength and bless you and bring you peace uh, that enacts, Um, You know, Peter and John's lay hands on the disciple, on these um, uh, disciples that have received uh, water baptism and they they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Not that the spirit was absent before, but there's an acknowledgement, you are known. We've come down because we want you to know that you've been received and that you're loved. And then, you know, happens to Jesus himself right there in the waters of baptism. Um, Mm. This voice assuring him. I'm with you. And there are some people, and this is, um, you know, debatable, but it's not unorthodox. People were talking about this back when they were debating these things first, that this is the moment when God's spirit was, God's spirit didn't reside with the Christ until that point um, that that came in baptism, whether that's true or not irrelevant. What I think is important though, is that Jesus is about to enter this ministry that he's probably already sensing that he has been called to. And he gets told by God, you're known. I'm here Mm. and you're known. Mm. Um, It's just a powerful, powerful reassurance in all these passages today that jumped out.
1: um, Mm. Incredibly powerful. Mm. I was really struck by the, I don't know, the groundedness or earthiness of especially this psalm. Um, um, the Spirit of God. I think I, I think I grew up thinking of the Spirit of God and being baptized in the, in the Spirit as something that, that was spiritual, that wasn't physical. And it it, it strikes me now how, how grounded the language of the Holy Spirit is, yeah. the language used in Scripture around the Holy Spirit. Even back in Genesis, um, you know, this is the breath of God or the wind of God blowing. Um, I've often, uh, you know, nowadays I'll, I'll stand on top of a mountain and, you know, if I'm privileged enough to feel the wind in my face or when I'm riding my motorbike, feel the wind in my face, um, I, I'm literally reminding myself that, that God is at work. Yeah. That the you know that that and and it's not it's not just this soul activity, but God is at work everywhere. The wind shapes the earth. Um, that is that's the image. And of course, this breath is breathed into our body. So um, you know, every time I breathe, I, I you know, when I'm doing it consciously, I suppose. There's something in me that's saying, um, you know, this is this is what God has done to me. He has enabled me to take this next breath, um, and this is the Spirit of God filling me. Yeah, I, I sometimes think we've spiritualized this a, a little bit, a little bit more than Scripture does. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, clearly. Clearly, the psalm is the psalm here is. It is a very grounded. You know, the voice of God is doing physical things in the world. Yeah. Um, what, what a shame for us to um, to to restrict God to this spirit space that we think God should belong to. Um, again, because we're probably playing down the physical. But we've got no reason to do that. Um, if we start with the creation story and we have an incarnated God, man, we've got no reason whatsoever to play down the physical, earthly, grounded life. We've got every reason to celebrate it and enjoy it and, and love it, treasure it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you should bring that up about uh, that earthiness and connected to us. And we talked about the um, image that's behind you last week. Um, mm, yes, the, the, the indigenous image, and I'm reminded. I mean, we you know we spent a lot of time at our school engaging with indigenous um, aunties and um, in our mm. community and uncles and and elders. Uh, very strong on that this last year, at least, and we're moving forward with that now.
1: Yeah, um, wonderful.
0: But it's interesting that you know, you, you can read a psalm like this and the scientific brain just says, yeah, but we know how that works now. But there's something really incredibly powerful about going back and saying, well, okay, yeah, we know how it works. We know we can explain it with science, yeah. but it, it doesn't remove the sense of what this is trying to say about who God is or where God is found. Um, and it, it just, when you were talking then, reminded me of how, I've often struggled with some of the dreaming stories and it's not because they're bad or wrong or anything like that. It's that I can't get the imagery to fit, Um, you know, some of these old stories where you have a a, a wallaby who does something or other, and then it it moves in a particular way and it becomes this. And I go, I I can't understand how that would work with a wallaby, but it's, it's me anthropomizing anthropomizing way too much. (laughs) You know, what a great um, word. Um, <laughs> and, and it's the same here. Um, you know there's something yeah. powerful, I think I mentioned to you many times, I'm, I'm so in love with the sagas. and you know one of yeah. my 700 PhDs, I would love to do a, <laughs> a thing that considers how we read the text of Scripture in yeah. the same understand the text of Scripture in the same way that the Icelandic people read the sagas um mm. but you know even then you know you're watching something like vikings and you're hearing them talk about uh you know what thor is doing or what odin's doing or Frey or whatever and what's interesting about that is is that you look at where they are and you think well, that just doesn't fit i mean how is that mm. this you know this whole like you know, you know, the rain is this well the thunder is you know thor's hammer and if you go anthropomorphic with it which is what I think a lot of people expect, yeah, is, but it's yeah. not. If you go anthropomorphic with it, it suddenly doesn't work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can't mm-hmm. be anthropomorphic about Thor banging his hammer, and that's the noise that you get. You can't be, and and so and like this too. If you read it, if you get sucked into the anthropomorphism of you know the voice of the Lord, you end up with a really, it doesn't fit. But if you can remove if you can get voice of the Lord as being a poetic unction which helps us put something around it which gets us to start thinking about it, remove the anthropomorphism but still talk about a voice, then it gets really interesting
1: yeah um, yeah
0: and and for me that's that's been just right now I've just been going, yeah, you really need to get better at this I think it's just I, I'm very mm. um, um, you know, I find it very difficult to think. I mean, I'm, I write poetry and stuff, but I tend to be really literalistic. Not in my poetry, yeah, yeah. but I struggle. I mean, writing poetry is hard work, but that's why I do it, to get myself out of the literal mind. Um, and this is the same, too. If I read this psalm, uh, my head's going to break because how can God speak and then this happened, but this makes God look like, uh, it's, which is why when you get to things like Revelation, you know, 16 arms and 47 heads and all this other stuff, We go, really? That's what God looks like? Well, no, it's how He's describing the divine. Mm. So, what does that mean? And I'm saying here the voice. What is that voice? What does that sound like? What does it look like? Um, It's incredibly powerful stuff, which again, you know, you are known, and and God becomes known, becomes uh, we're immersed in God, and God is immersed in us. And we have this knowing of one another. That is incredibly intimate. And one of the mystics used sexualized mm-hmm. language all the time uh, for the last yeah. you know, 1,500 years, because for them, it was an intimate sexual-like union. Um, you know, the Song of Songs, the same. Yes, um, yes. You know, there's this intimacy yeah. to who we are. And in these passages, we see God being intimate with Jesus and intimate with Israel mm-hmm. and intimate um, as the things continue to go through the book of acts you are known you're immersed in me and you're known even in the biblical sense yes (laughs) yeah that's going to get me in trouble but i don't care
1: no that's that's okay that is okay
0: you can look after the mail we got on that one
1: yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. I'm finding myself, I'm finding myself wondering about this, you know, whether we need to talk about, I know that I know that the word or the language Trinity is not here in this story. But gee, we see, we really do see. I, I think we're getting a glimpse into a community of perfect love where they're delighting in one another. Yeah. Um, all heading in the one direction. Sometimes we've, you know, I think this is one of those passages that kind of bucks against the idea that Jesus was satisfying God who was unsatisfied until, you know, Jesus is full of grace, but God is full of this legalism and wrath. Um, here is here is really a picture of Father, Son and Spirit moving in the same direction yeah. and delighting in loving one another, um, all pushing in the same direction. And I think this is one of those passages, maybe it's one of the reasons that Gospel writers have this story um, at the beginning of the Gospels is I think it makes it very difficult to pull the Trinity apart as though they're heading in different directions after this particular story, this very revealing story of what God is doing in the person of Jesus. Yes. Um, It it seems to me that we we get this very early picture of all of God, loving all of God, moving in one direction. And and that is, I I think, inviting us into fellowship with this perfect community. Well, it
0: reminds Um, us who we
1: are. As well, yes. We're yes, if we're made in yes, God's image. Exactly. We are meant to be
0: in community.
1: Exactly, yeah. we are made to be God's God's friends. That that's yes. what we are created to be. We are created to be part of this community. Yeah, um, which on a level sounds a little bit shocking, but actually, we are called into we are called to love into the community that is perfect love. And that is us invited into the Trinity. And I I just think, um, you know, I know that, I know, like I've said, I know the language is not here, but here is a picture of perfect, loving community. And, And their purpose, their direction is to invite us into this relationship. Uh, that is that is magnificent that is absolute magnificent so you can argue always that the very core of your humanity is actually love um and this is this is only what god is doing when god invites us you know when jesus is asked what is the center and he says love god love your neighbor he's not asking you something that's impossible for you to do in fact he's asking the most natural thing for you yes to do. now yes. now i know it's i know it's hard in an unloving world so i'm not saying it's easy and jesus life death and resurrection certainly tells us that to love in an unloving world is a dangerous thing to do but if you don't do that if we don't find ways to do that to love in an unloving world like christ does we will find ourselves being untrue to who we were created to be. So all, all Jesus is really ever asking of us is what Jesus is, and that is perfect love, what the Trinity is, perfect love. So, so 1 John, we can make this audacious claim that God is love. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that is a claim That is a claim to community, I think. You can't claim love if you're on your own and you don't need anyone. But that is not the way God has been revealed to us. God is revealed to here. God is revealed here as a community working in the direction of love and grace through the means of love and grace. It's just wonderful. And what a shame it would be if we skipped over this. Yeah, for oh, this yeah. passage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As we wrap yeah. it up, let me share a story with you to encourage you in that, because I think it's beautiful. You know the beautiful icon of the Trinity that was painted yes. by Rublev? Yes. And, uh, I don't know if you know about this, but um, uh, there's a very interesting rectangle at the front. Yes. yes. And uh, Richard Raw was talking about how a little while ago some, they took a little bit of a scraping off and they discovered it was some sort of adhesive. And one of the theories is that originally on that icon, uh, Rublev broke all the rules of icon writing and put a mirror there. So that when you looked at the icon of the Trinity sitting around that table, sharing with each other, that you have a place at the table and your face appears Mm -hmm. at the table along with um, the three members of the of God Wonderful. sitting there around that table. Wonderful. I think Wonderful. that's that really wraps up everywhere we've gone today. That yeah mercy I, I have known by God, loved by God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've I've read that and I find it the most compelling um idea that um that we are invited to the table of God, which is you know that's just communion yeah it really is just communion um we are invited to the table i've got um you know a good friend of mine Reese mcfadden um and we've we've often uh, you know done a sort of um mental exercise of, of, of what would change what would change in the christian faith if our symbol um, was not the cross, and it's not that I'm objecting to the cross as a symbol, um, but, what, but what if we'd symbolised and centralised the table, um, this, this community? And we, we've often said to one another, how would we, you know, how would we hang a table around our neck? You know, how would, where would we get, uh, um, you know, a symbol like that? And would that be provocative enough for people to ask and say, why have you got... Why have you got a mini table around your neck rather than a cross? Um, I, I wonder if that's the kind of thing that you know we need, this t- kind of symbol we need to grab hold of to provoke thought again. I think crosses become invisible <laughs> nowadays. We think we know what they mean. Yeah. But w- what if we, what if we were to have a table? Um, because I think I think that icon is that's exactly what that icon is doing. Um, and if there's a mirror on it, well, that just makes it all the, more, all the better. Um, that's just fantastic if that's the case. Yeah. But what would it look like? What would it look like for us to, to, uh, to allow the symbol of table and community, um, which is the symbol of God? You know, God is revealed as community. What if we were al- allowing that symbol to... Um, to centralise and articulate our call, um, I find the table compelling. I, I will never forget the first time, um, so that so the day after I was ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church, um, I, I got to do my first communion. Um, in, in that tradition, you have to wait until you've been ordained as, as a priest. Right. Um, so it was a really special kind of... Moment for me, and, and right up to that point, I had honestly thought to myself, my my, my central call is to preach and um, and articulate scripture. Um, so so to work in that um, that preaching kind of space. When I stood behind that altar and and went through the you know the communion words. Uh, I, 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 I felt in my body that that maybe this was even a deeper call um, to gather people around the table of perfect love, mm. uh, to invite them into this space where they would know they are loved, known, as we've been saying, um, and accepted and, and, and invited. Not by, not by me, the priest, but invited by God, I'm sought out by God to come and fall into relationship, perfect loving relationship with God. Um, I think it's the most beautiful, beautiful symbol. And, and even in traditions that are like the Anglican Church that do communion every week, I think it's an underutilised Um, symbol of what God is doing.
0: Um, Yeah. You are immersed in God and you are known by name, my friends. Yeah. May you please engage in conversation with us around these passages. You will find us at Instagram at between two Sundays. That's a number two. You'll find the extended articles at barefootfollower.life and you'll find us here every wednesday and of course the podcast stays it doesn't go anywhere um yeah. but join us on a wednesday or any other day of the week for between two sundays um we hope that you're getting heaps out of it because we definitely are and um as we said last Absolutely. week i'm happy to keep doing it for just you and i man that's
1: yeah it's, um, yeah it's lots fun. of fun lots well, god bless of... you
0: folks uh, all the best as you continue through the christmas season and um mm. peace be with you thank you mark bless you
1: and you.
0: All right. And we'll see you next week for Between Two Sundays. God bless your friends. See you then. can
1: wait. See ya.